Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal to simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, welcome to episode number 23 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I am your host, and I hope that this conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. I have a great conversation for you today. Today, I got a chance to sit down and talk with pastor and author Danny Davis about his ministry journey, his experience with rural churches, and his most recent book called The Rural Church Turnaround. Danny, is currently a pastor of a small church, uh, small town church uh, where he led this church from being on the brink of closing its doors to now thriving as a healthy church. How did he do that? What were the challenges? Oh, and, and by the way, I should add that Danny also worked for many years in Africa, planting and revitalizing churches. Danny has a lot of ministry experience, as well as working with other churches to bring health to rural contexts. And so on our podcast, Danny shares with us um, his experience, his wisdom on what it takes to be a turnaround church. So if you're in church leadership or you consider yourself even just a church member, there is so much to take out of this conversation that you will not want to miss what he has to say. Because when it comes down to it, it takes all of us working together. And so here's my conversation with Danny. Well, I am... I'm really excited to have Danny Davis on our podcast. Danny, welcome. Hey, thanks, Skylar. And I'm glad to, to be here and, and to offer whatever insight I can give today. Well, Danny, I, I first had the chance to meet you. I think it was online, but I was at a Rural Matters um, conference in Kansas, and I got to meet you there. Um, but for our audience, can you just share a little bit about yourself, your story, and what you do. Yeah. Um, well, first I'm, I'm a husband first and a dad and, uh, I've been married for be 29 years this April. And, uh, we met at church and the church has been who, you know, big, huge part of our life. And I got two adult sons. Uh, one serves in the military. The other is a, a tradesman. And, um, Currently, for the next few weeks, and maybe by the time this podcast is released, we have been pastoring uh, LifePoint Church in Odessa, Missouri, and um, a church that was in 2013 about ready to close, and then uh, we were asked by our denomination to come and to lead a revitalization there, and uh, now the church is doing well and doing good, and a uh, couple weeks ago, um, we announced that uh, the Lord has transitioned our calling. We're going to go back to Africa. Oh wow! Um, where we'll be planting churches among among rural and remote peoples in the nation of Uganda. And uh, so we are uh, we're transitioning to new leadership at our church, and and uh, we're excited. The church is doing great, and. Uh, we have some great, great leaders in the church who've just picked up and they're leading this process of transition and doing an amazing job at it. Well, Danny, that's really exciting. Um, how fun. I know Africa has been something that um, has been a big passion for you. 
Um, so I'm excited that you get to go, um, that God is leading you back to Africa to work there. Um, I wanted to, um, okay, I guess first thing, um, what drew you from big city Africa to rural America? Um, what drew you to kind of small town? And then on the flip side, um, what, what is it that you feel is God leading you um, back? Yeah, um, I was born, sorry, this is going to sound like a, a rock and roll song here, right? I was born in a small town, right? <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in a town of like less than a thousand people in, and uh, I've always been a small town person at heart. You know, I just, I feel more comfortable in a small town. It's kind of my vibe, but but for about 12 years, the Lord had us in a season of planting churches among urban poor uh, in a city of 9 million. And yeah. so, which was far from being a small town. And, um, but what we learned is, is that even in that big urban area, people functioned in small town ways. So in other words, even though you had this massive city, people kind of located themselves in these communities. And so oh. we, we really planted the church that way. We found communities either by racial um, uh, similarity or by uh, uh, language uh, commonality. And we planted among uh, those groups. And so, so I guess that was maybe my small town mentality coming out in the urban setting. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, we enjoyed it. We loved being in a big town. We still like going to the city, but we also like coming home. But, uh, <laughs> and so, and so we, we spent about 12 years working in um, a mega city uh, just, but you know, here's the thing, people are people, whether they're in the city or whether they're rural, uh, they have different needs. They approach life at differently, but ultimately they, they need Jesus. Secondly, they need someone to help them be discipled and then they need to go reach other people for Christ. And so uh, about nine years ago, we came back to the States and, um, you know, I finished some education that I was working on and then felt the call to come and be a part of this rural church that we've been pastoring now for the last seven years. And, and, and we just love it here. Honestly, it was, it was one of the hardest decisions we had to make to, to kind of give ourselves to that new calling we feel like the Lord has put in our hearts. And it was a three-year process of, of, you know, saying, okay, we're, we're going to go back, but this has to happen first. And that has to happen first. And, hmm. and as far as setting up leadership and leaving the church in a very healthy place. And um, so now that passion for rural America hasn't died. It's just expanded. And now we're going to a nation that is 82% rural. Oh. Only 20% of the people have access to electricity. Uh, in the rural communities, only 10% have access to electricity. And so um, we're, we're going to be working with uh, uh, our, our, our church network, our denomination, uh, to plant, church among, uh, among, plant the church among those rural and very remote peoples in that nation. And so, so I guess everything always comes full circle. We're going to be back into the rural uh, one way or the other. <laughs> wow man uh danny that is um 
That's crazy. I mean, that's uh, what a journey. What a journey. You know, I find I always tell Stephanie, um, you know, every single year, I always go through it and think I would have never expected that, you know, every year is just so different. I mean, you know, I'm sure when you and your your family went back to um, to a rural context, you thought, I don't know if we're going to go back to Africa and, you know, just vice versa, you know. So um, I just got to ask, because um, I'm, I'm just really curious, um, when it comes to planting churches, starting churches in the United States and also in Africa, um, what are some of the biggest differences that you, that that um, that ha- that that I guess happen between is I mean I guess is there a big difference between starting a church in Africa versus in um, in America or I guess revitalizing a church in America? Yeah, yeah. You know, when we first went to South Africa, we went there to revitalize a, a, an existing church. Um, I went there to to pastor. I was an appointed missionary, but my role was to revitalize this particular church that had had been started about four years earlier, but had experienced some issues and there was a leadership vacuum. And so we stepped into that. But as we began to plant, as we began to launch leaders out and plant other churches, it, um, it was different in the city uh, because it's harder to build sort of relational equity. You don't necessarily see people as often as you do in, in a rural setting. So you rely much more on um, some forms of marketing in the sense of, in our case, was text messaging. And, uh, you know, now this was almost 20 years ago. So things have changed a bit since then. But we, we were relying much more on technology to introduce people to who we were, who we were, where we were at, uh, that kind of a thing. Where here in the States, uh, you know, in a rural community, I think one of the major challenges and blessings is the relational aspect. Mm -hmm. So if if you think of this, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but urban cultures tend to be what are called simplex relationships, Hmm. where where rural cultures tend to be what are called multiplex, right? Okay. So think of it like spaghetti, right? When you, when you put a bowl of spaghetti together, every noodle runs and, and connects somehow and touches each other. Now, that's how a rural community works. So my, <laughs> my, my dry cleaner is also the coach of my kid's softball team. He's also on the school board. And, and so every relationship has this, has these hundreds of touches that can either be amazingly wonderful for you, or they can be pretty tough. Okay. Uh, You know, and whereas in an urban setting, it's not good or bad. It's just the reality of it. In an urban setting, my dry cleaner is usually just my dry cleaner. And, and, you know, the softball coach is just a softball coach. So I have this sort of straight line relationship with them. And in a rural setting, it's, it tends to be much more interwoven and complex. And so while people are people, their needs are different. Rural people tend to be much more relational. Uh, it's more trust equity that gets things done more so than contract and, and, and agreement, you know, you, uh, so, so there's a lot of that. Now, 
you know, and I, and, and for me personally, that's, that's what I love. You know, I love that relational aspect of, of everything we're doing. And, and I think that's what, what really drew us, you know, and obviously I feel like the, the Lord was doing this, but, but to, to begin to think outside of America and begin to think back into Africa hmm. because the, the modern church planting movement has focused primarily on urban areas, yeah. right? So, and, and for good reason, because the world is becoming much more urban, but still there are people who need Jesus in those rural areas. And so the so planting in an urban setting is much more dependent on the, some of the externals, not to say that you don't have relationships, but it's more about the marketing side, this kind of a thing. Where in rural, it's much more about entrenching yourself into that community, becoming, uh, you know, a, a vital part of that community, and then building relationships over a long period of time. And so, you know, to me, that's kind of the differences. I hope, I hope I'm explaining that well. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, uh, I haven't, I, I haven't lived in a big urban kind of context. I, I came from a, a, a bigger suburban area. And so I, I know city life and then, you know, you have a, you called it a, um, uh, a mega city, um, you know, in Africa. I, I, I don't even have a, um, a category for, uh, 9 million people, <laughs> you know, there's this, you know, I, I don't even, uh, I, I couldn't imagine what that's like. Um, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I believe I have heard you say that that going from a ministry um, in rural America or in a rural setting from a big city in Africa um, has been one of the hardest things has entailed some of the hardest work for you. And for me, I would imagine it would be the other way around. I mean, especially when we talk about relationships, um, would you mind kind of, um, I guess first is, did, did, did I hear you correctly? You did. Yeah. Yeah. Could, well, so much more, more to the fact that revitalization in and of itself in a rural community has been tough. It's, it's been tough. And it's been extremely hard. Um, you know, we were able to plant churches pretty successfully uh, in the urban context, and you know, you can you can draw large crowds fairly easy. Um, you know, using different techniques, using different ways of communicating. But but when I came into an established church with a nearly eighty year history, when I came. See, when you plant something, if the culture's messed up, then you the only person you can blame is this is the guy that planted it, right? <laughs> you know, I'm the one who set the tone for the culture as the planter, as a, but when you come into a a, a nearly 80 year old established church that has had an organizational history, multi decades, that you know there, it has a t- particular reputation reputation in town. In our case, that reputation was not all that great. Mm. Um, the church was seen as a place where people were fighting a lot, where there was a lot of division. Uh, in 80 years, there had been somewhere in the neighborhood of three dozen pastors. 
Wow. And, and so they were changing. And you got to think one of those pastors was there for 15 years. So subtract that. And, and so you're changing pastors about every 18 months. So, so the, the you know, so you, you take all of those factors and, and then also in a rural church setting, you tend to find the family power dynamics to be much different in urban than an urban setting. So in an urban setting, people kind of come to church and move on where in a rural setting, church becomes much more a part of the everyday life, the everyday, you know, people are dropping in and out of the church, you know, the building, things like that. And, and so you tend to attract families more so than, you know, connected families. Like you've got the, the brother, the sister, the husbands, the things like that. And so, so when you make a decision, as a pastor and you make, and you begin to cast vision, you begin to create cultural change. You, I mean, you're trying to weave all of those multiplex relationships through that. And, and you are, and, and no matter how deeply you think through that or how deeply you try to plan for that, you just cannot predict what, how this is going to domino into other things. And so, that became difficult for me because like I say, the relationships were the, the wonderful blessing, but yet at the same time, they could also be the thing that held up what needed to go forward. Because if, if, if one particular person who held a lot of influence pulled back on that, that quickly spread into other, other areas of the, of the church. So, so, you know, we, so I think, what makes it wonderful also makes it tough, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but but also, also because we came into a situation that was radically dysfunctional, um, we had to make a lot of changes quickly. Number one, to get us on legal footing, hmm. because there were some legality issues that were not being observed. Um, so we had to make changes rapidly at the at the very beginning and but they were necessary and people understood them for the most part but but because we had this because there had been this kind of developed culture of arguing and fighting you you never could just do something there had to be a there was always this constant undertow undercurrent of dissent of um, yeah, I can't put enough words on it. And so you never knew from Sunday to Sunday, I just never knew what shoe was going to drop and who was going to be upset. And, and no matter what I did, I mean, I, you know, now after about three and a half years, a lot, you know, some of those folks had moved on. They, they felt to, to leave, to go to another church or whatever. And God began to send us some people who, who came in and, and got a hold of the vision. And, and, and now, you know, at least to my knowledge, sometimes the pastor is the last one to know, but <laughs> you, know, to, you know, we've got a very healthy team based ministry that is, uh, that is doing well. And, and the church has given us, I, I say this with all humility, the church has given us the leeway to make decisions and make changes as we need to. And, and I've been very appreciative of that. Mm. So, um, 
so you know it's been a it, so so, uh, so yeah it, it, I, I don't know if i'm a, i don't want to complain because it you know it was wonderful but yet there were several years there where i thought lord i why have you why am i here you know it just I, you know, and prayed that selfish prayer of, you know, let me leave. And the Lord was like, nah, this is where you need to be for now. And I was thinking about this the other day. I, I probably needed this more than they did Hmm. in the sense that I needed this season to, for the Lord to be able to help me lead differently and and to see a bigger picture of the 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 role of lay leaders, volunteer leaders, building team-based ministry, I needed that in my own life uh, and in my own ministry. And so, as much as they have gained from me, I've gained I've gained from them. Mm. And the tough seasons were just that tough seasons, and we got through them. So, Danny, there's a couple things that you had mentioned um, that, number one, one of the most difficult things um, with the, I guess, more of a rural environment is how relational it is and how <laughs> how much those connections can, um, you know, if you make a bad connection here, it doesn't just affect here. It affects this family and then this family and over here and then all of a sudden at the bakery, you're hearing about it, you know, it's just, it's, it's more, there's more connection that you have to battle through. And if there's a bad culture underlying that, you know, you also have that, it's not just, you know, um, a different a disagreement here, but you have this um, maybe an unhealthy way of, um, a healthy or unhealthy way um, of how communication happens, how people <laughs> react to things. Um, and there, it sounds like part of the other difficulty was um, um, you had to you had to approach things differently. Um, you had to lead differently. It it kind of sounds like you said by um, um, sticking with it um, is was leading differently. Did that in uh, that entail? Uh, incorporating more people um, into because um, you, you had mentioned lay leadership, and so was that like what was what was it that you had to lead differently through? Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. I think you know every church needs that core of people, right? I mean, you need that core of volunteers and so on. Uh, I come from a background that, of of a very pastoral centric leadership style where. Mm-hmm. Pastors tended to be, you know, the visionary who just kind of said, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And, and then people just stepped into that. In other words, you created what you needed and then you fitted, you fitted, if that's a word, you fitted people into it where really because of the relate, because of the way the relationship works and at least in you know the area where I'm at, I really began to see ministry as more from the gift up instead of the ministry down. Uh-huh. So in other words, discovering whether that's through assessment or whether that's through just observation, whatever it might be, but discovering what are people passionate about and what are people good at? So, so let me give you, an, for instance, you know, we needed to up our game in the hospitality area, right? So we, we our first impressions or whatever you want to call it. And so 
you know, I just began to look for who are the people who are, who are just naturally stepping out and welcoming someone who are naturally going to shake someone's hand, naturally doing this. And I just began to make that list and I began to um, go to them and say, you know, would you consider being a part of this kind of a team? Um, and, and I could say that about a lot of different areas of the church. So, hmm. but the good part was there's, I guess there are certain ministries we all want, right? We, we all want a good hospitality team. We all want, you know, kids and youth or whatever. But what I began to really do was say, what, what gift has God already given us in the, in the form of these people in front of me? Because those gifts are then speaking to me what God is trying to accomplish in this congregation mm. and in our community. And so we began to ask people, what are they passionate about? What do they like to do? What are, and then finding ways to connect that to things outside of our, outside of our congregation. So, so one of the major challenges that makes rural revitalization so difficult at times is because churches in need of revitalization have typically turned very inward. Hmm. And then, and they're focusing on us and me and my, so as a pastor, my job is to get them to begin looking outward. And so what I began to do is say, okay, you're really good at making fried chicken and you love when people compliment your fried chicken and you you know, you just love it when somebody says, make me coleslaw or whatever. And begin to say, now, how can we take that and turn that into something that would bless somebody on outside of this uh, outside of this congregation? And, and, and we began to do that. All right. And so now we have people who are serving uh, at, on boards of the Senior Citizen Center. They're they're volunteering their time at food pantries. They're volunteering at clothing places. Uh, you know, you know, stuff like that. So I'm not really just developing new ministries all the time, which I think is sometimes the, what people expect us to do as pastors. What I'm trying to do is say, what is, what is God already doing in this community? And then how can we get involved in it? And how can we take these gifts and put them there? And, and, and the Lord's just blessed in, in that way. And we have somewhere between I don't know the latest numbers, but around 65% of our congregation of about 80 people, we about 65% of them are involved in an, a, a, a serving team within the church. And the majority of those are also serving somewhere outside the church. That's awesome. In, in some capacity. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and Danny, I, I know with your... Um, you know, you know, background with what you did your doctorate on, um, as well as what God called you to do in Odesto, Missouri, um, kind of, kind of helped curate and produce um, a book that you recently wrote um, called "Rural Church Turnaround." Um, if, if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit uh, about that? You know, what do you hope um, with that book that the re readers will take away from the book that you wrote? Yeah, yeah, man. My goal, the subtitle of the book is the, the, the real life experiences of pastor, rural pastors and lay leaders. All right. So 
So my goal in, in doing the research and then also writing the book was to, was to ask this question, how did pastors and lay leaders work together to bring about revitalization? Because so often we focus primarily on the role of the pastor in revitalization. Now I do that and I, I spend a good amount of time talking about that in, in, in the book, but I also look at, you know, I interviewed um, was it 13 or so lay leaders from these various congregations that had been revitalized and said, well, what was your experience and what did you think and how did you, and just began to realize that these folks were, I mean, they were sold out to what God wanted to do at their church. They were, they were like, you know what, we want this thing to live. We want this to live. And so we're going to give life to it by, being involved, but yet they also wanted someone who was transparent in their leadership that didn't keep, let me say this carefully, they didn't keep secrets in the senses, in the sense that they didn't share with the congregation, hey, you know, this is where we're struggling, this is what's happening, this is where we really are, I'm asking people to step up and to step into this, and they also wanted, many of them wanted a culture where they could, where their ideas could come up and their gifts could come up and they could go to their pastor and say, you know what? I feel like God has placed this ministry burden in my heart and put this passion in me and that the pastor would, would then become a coach that the pastor would then be say, well, you know what? You've got a good start on the idea. Let's develop this further. Let's look at how we can do this and really coach them in the process of developing themselves as ministers in this particular area. And so, uh, you know, so, so, so these are the things that they were, that they were saying, this is what our pastor did that kept us inspired, that kept us wanting to be a part of, of this thing and see it come back to life. And so, um, and obviously, I mean, you, you can't do this alone. If, I mean, if you're a pastor and you're trying to revitalize a church in your own power, I mean, it ain't going to happen. Number one, you, you need Jesus. Number two, you need other people who have Jesus too. Right. So, so you've, you've got to pull people in and you've got to, you've got to find out where they're gifted at and then become their fan, become the one who, who, who helps develop them into something that they didn't think they could be. And so, you know, on the, on the lay leader side, it's a matter of saying, you know what, I'm committed here. I remember in some of the interviews, I would ask, I would ask the participants, I would say, you know, with the church almost dying and, you know, you're having all kinds of financial problems and one church in the book talked, you know, it's, they, they were going to have their building repossessed, mm. you know, after years and years and years. And just the finances were so bad. And I asked people, why did you stay? I mean, most people would have got up and ran right? and look at all the, what's happening, what's going on. And, and so many of them just said, cause this is where God called us and this is where we're at and we're committed to this. And so the book then tells the story of, of three churches and or four churches and 13 uh, people involved in those uh, revitalizations. 
and some have had phenomenal growth. Like one church has had over like 900% growth and then and other churches have had smaller growth. So it's all over the map. I mean, they didn't all become mega churches or whatever. And I'm thankful for those kind of things, but, but, you know, one church is now averaging like 400 in attendance in a town of 270 people. So, oh, wow. so it's, you know, we're on, you know, so it's all over the map as to what that revitalization looks like. But here was the key. The pastor committed to stay. The pastor committed to becoming an advocate to help people develop ministry. And then they, you know, they began to make cultural changes. Let's be, let's, let's, let's become uh, honest about who we are. Let's find out where our strengths are. Let's play to our strengths and then let's get people involved. And, um, you know, I know in, in, in the day we live in, we like to do a lot of assessments, like, you know, take this quiz and discover your spiritual gift. Yeah. I, I love those things. I think they're wonderful. But every pastor that I interviewed in a rural community didn't use that. They built a relationship with people and then they found out what they were good at and then, and then found a way to plug them in. Mm. Now, as the church gets larger, that becomes more difficult. I, I get that, but. But in those early stages of revitalization, it was a lot of drinking coffee with people, a lot of driving down the road with people and having conversations, you know, and, and just building, 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 building those relationships. Hmm. And, and the book just tells those stories. And then at the end, I kind of talk about, you know, some of the leadership principles that I think people should should adopt and, and consider as one of the things I say in the book is I'm not trying to build a model. Like you can't follow my book and, and, and revitalize your church. I'm just trying to show you what other people have done to try to spark creativity and thought in your life and in the life of those that you, you lead to say, you know what? Dead things can live. God is in the resurrection business. And, and he, if he did it there, he'll do it for us. Danny, that is powerful stuff. And, you know, I even just reflecting back on my own faith journey, um, man, I grew. Um, I, 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 I grew the most when I was challenged to, to kind of, I was invited and challenged to step up and figure out how I can serve rather than, um, you know, um, just attending youth group and, and just being a consumer. You know, that, that, it, but it takes somebody, you know, like for me as my youth pastor to spark that. Like, what can you do to begin serving Jesus? And that led me on a journey of growth. And, you know, if if there's not that initial spark, you know, living in America, you know, where we're very entertainment driven and just, you know, human nature, you know, we, uh, you know, we want to find a, a place of comfortability and, um and so, you know, I don't know, there's just, uh, that was good stuff. Um, well, Danny, um, a majority in our audience, um, I would say they're not, they're a church member, a uh, church attender, but not necessarily a leader in a church. Um, what are some, I guess, key nuggets from your research, from your book that you would say, uh, you should know this about um, a church turnaround? You know, one of the things would be that, you know, stay faithful, stay faithful, even during the difficult seasons, you know, realize that there's always two sides to every story. And, and, you know, I'm not saying be blind in your loyalty. I'm just saying that, 
give people the benefit of the doubt. Give your pastor the benefit of the doubt when he's trying to make changes and lead changes and, and stay faithful and, and be supportive. And I realize in the season we're in as a church and around the United States and the world today, you know, things are rapidly morphing into something else, but, 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 but be faithful. And I think I'd go back to this step up and say, what can I do? What can I do? How can I help? How can I get my feet in the water and, and, and get my hands in the dirt and, and do something to make, because let's face it, you're building a legacy for the future. You know, you're building a legacy that, you know, if you're a young family that your kids are going to enjoy, if you're an older family, you're, you're maybe your grown kids and your grandkids will enjoy that legacy. So, so, you know, be faithful, step in. If you're asked, you know, when you're asked to do something, you know, just don't dismiss it immediately, but give yourself time to say, you know what, I can do this and I can be a part of this because none of us are going to do this alone. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I, I think that the big key there is, <laughs> you know, you know, faithful and, and willing I think that's the big thing. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to do what needs to be done to, to see this thing live and, and, and go forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Faithfulness, willingness, op- optimism, you know, um, you know, so you said seeing, um, seeing both, both sides, you know, realizing, and I, you know, that was like what my dad, you'd always tell me whenever, you know, you know, me and my brother would get into a fight and argument. He'd always say, there's always two sides of the story. You know, and I had my perspective, Nick had his, and usually I was wrong, or that's not true. Usually Nick was wrong. I'm the younger brother. I'm always right. So, um, but you know, it's, 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 um, so, um, okay. I want to, you, you had mentioned this is like, um, the craziest year, um, by far. And I know a lot of people are saying that and, um, church, um, Worship, it looks different. It feels different. Um, there's a different atmosphere in the air with a lot of people. Um, temperament, not to mention you throw election season into the mix, you know, here. Um, but how is, uh, how do you see COVID this this season um, factoring into church turnaround? Um, it, I mean, is this is this a setback for a lot of rural churches? Is this an opportunity for growth? How should we as Christians be viewing um, this unique season that we're in? Well, yeah, I think a lot of that just depends on what you choose, how you choose to see it, right? And so it, for me, I think this is a, an amazing season of opportunity. Number one, now's a great time to make some changes because they're, they're necessary now. If you're going to if you're going to reach people, if you're going to thrive as a church, if you're going to make community impact and all that, you're, you are now forced to think out of the box. And I think that is the, I think that is one of the greatest blessings that God has sent to us. And so, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, turnaround leaders never waste a crisis Hmm. that, that they use crisis to leverage leadership. Right. So I think as pastors right now, 
and, and even as 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 lay leaders, volunteer leaders, and even as church members, we have to step up in this season and say, you know what, the church has been through worse. The the church globally has been through worse. We've been through you know all kinds of things, and the church is still standing, and we're still going to be standing after this. Yes, we may look a little different. Yes, we may be doing things differently, but this is a season in which turnaround leaders can really say, you know what, there, there might be an acceleration now in, in the changes that we need to make culturally in our church because we have this window of opportunity to do that. And I think in this crisis moment, we need to look at what's the opportunity here. And I think if we looked real close, we would find that there is a great opportunity out there to, to do that. But I, I would balance that with this. I would balance that with saying you need to shepherd the people who are in front of you, right? One of the, one of the things that we tend to do in crisis moments is think about who we don't have mm. or what we don't have. Well, if we only had this, then we could do better. If we only had that person, we could do better. No, God has put gifts of people in front of you. Shepherd and steward, shepherd the people, steward the gifts of, of the people who are there and, and, and be faithful to that as a leader at whatever level, whether you're the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or small group leader, worship pat, whatever, you can't pastor people who aren't there. Or, or who aren't with you. You can only pastor the people who are with you. And so do it well. Hmm. And then from that, God will begin to, to, to draw out creative and powerful ways of, of reaching people for Jesus. Because here's the, here's the deal. God loves your town more than you do. Hmm. Uh, Jesus loves your people more than you do. And he wants to see more people come in. You know, he wants to see more people invited into the kingdom of God. And he will give us the creativity in this season to do what needs to be done. Hmm. Danny, that is um, <laughs> both encouraging and challenging, you know, um, and, and, and inspiring as well. Um, just, you know, thinking about that, giving, giving a vision, giving flesh and, and, and bone to, um, to rural ministry, to rural church settings, uh, to a season of crisis and what to do. And, you know, even like thinking about, I mean, what you were saying just, you know, with the people who are there. I mean, it's it, it sounds like what Jesus said, right? Um, uh, love one another and the world will know you are my disciples. You know, like how does the world know that we are Jesus' disciples? Right. By our love for one another, you know, it's... It's not for our, you know, our love for, um, you know, um, I, I don't know where I'm going with that. But anyways, you know, it's just that, that contagious love um, that we have for the people um, that we know, you know, and, and that kind of begins to flow outward. Um, well, Danny, um, quick question for you. Uh, what is one thing in the season that you are taking away? What is one thing that you feel God is teaching you in this COVID, uh, post COVID season? Yeah, I think probably I would have to say trust, um, a deeper level of trust, trusting him, number one, to do what I just talked about, that he's faithful, that he's going to see us through this, that he's with us. Um, secondly, to, to trust people 
let's face it, we need now more than ever as pastoral leaders to rely on the, the people of our congregations to minister one to another because we're not, we're not able to get to places or be in places, but others can. And, and so to trust them with that, to trust them with ministry. And then, you know, to, to trust his word that, you know, what, what he has promised he will bring to pass. And, you know, so there's a real temptation in all of this to just let worry dominate. And, I've just really, I'm just really learning that in order for me not to worry, it's a matter of trust saying, you know what? I I know he's on the throne. (laughs) I know he's, he's got the best interest at heart for our church and for our people. And I trust that. And, and I trust that he's, he's working on them even when I'm not getting to preach to him. Right. (laughs) Um, Danny, that's that's good, you know, and it. I mean, it does does come back to trust, you know. I mean, especially with the season, G, you know, Jesus said, um, "I will build my church. <laughs> I will build my church. Jesus will build the church, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. They won't prevail against it. Uh, we don't build it. Um, right. It's right. not our. It's not our organization. It's God's mm-hmm. organism, you know, here on earth that He's in charge of." And, um, you know, this season more than ever yeah. um, has challenged pastors deeply with um, that question of, do you trust that Jesus will build his church um, and uh, trust that the, the body of Christ is, um, is a powerful, loving, gifted um, in, group of individuals who, who are, that God is advancing the kingdom yeah. of God through. So... Um, Danny, is there um, any last things that you would like to say? Um, been a great conversation, but any, anything last you want to add to our conversation? Well, I mean, you can pick up, just to talk about the book a little bit, you, you can pick up the book at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. I think it's available in some brick-and-mortar stores. I couldn't tell you which ones, but, but, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, pick up the book and it, you know, that helps us support this next endeavor we're, we're moving into with, with Uganda. And, um, but no, thanks. Thanks so much, man. I love talking about church and rural church and leadership and all that. So, so thanks so much for the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And I would, um, for those listening to the audience, uh, in our audience, I would encourage you to go get that book. Uh, it's called rural, Ch- rural church. I'm still working on that word, rural church turnaround, um, and you can get that on Amazon, um, uh, anywhere online where books are sold, you can get that. Um, Danny, Danny is genuine. Um, he is, he's the real deal. And, um, your words have been a great encouragement and source of life for so many people, so many pastors, so many church leaders. Um, so I would especially encourage you to get that, especially if you're in church leadership in whatever respect. Um, but also as a church member, you know, it's, it's always, um, helpful to see, you know, the, uh, the other side of things and how is it that God works, um, to bring life, breathe life back into, uh, churches and influence it, um, uh, a local town and an area. So, well, Danny, um, again, man, thank you so much, um, for taking the time to talk with us, um, a little bit about your story, um, your book and, um, the experience you've, uh, You've drawn along the way and blessings um, on your next chapter in uh, Uganda. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Looking back on 2020, there are so many things that I can look back on and go, man, I should have done this. I, I should have done more of that. You know, I'm sure that, that many of you can probably relate to that, that many of us can look back and, and think about all the things that we wished we would have done. We, we think about the, the coulda, shoulda, woulda, all those things that we should have done this past year. But the reality is we can't fix this year. <laughs> we can't change our past, but we can look ahead for a better future. And to me, that was what was so encouraging and so challenging and so helpful about Danny's words. I mean, he gave some great ministry advice and insight as well as some practical realities of just learning to love people well and and being willing to serve wherever you uh, feel gifted in, is pa- you're passionate about, whether that's like fried chicken or whatever that may be. And that is what was encouraging um, uh, for me that I want to encourage you with. Follow your nose on what passions God has placed on your heart and find a way to use whatever that is to help the church as well as to love the people you are around. And after all, Jesus taught us, did he not, that he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his his life as a ransom for many. And he invites us to take that same kind of lifestyle up. And and I have linked Danny's book in our show notes, um, so be sure to check that book out if you would like to kind of dive deeper into this conversation. It is a very rich resource that will benefit and bless many people's lives. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time.